0: I am uh, Mike Pumphrey. I get to work with uh, V3 Church Planning Network. Uh, we uh, we get to uh, to work a lot with uh, existing churches as well as church plants and reimagining what it looks like to create a missional and incarnational approach to be the church and so uh, I hope you guys are enjoying your time here at Missio there are some uh, some information there on your uh, on your pew that explain v3 two things I want to call out specifically one is the uh, the long sheet there that actually is an ad for our our app, and so if you want to download our app, you can uh, set it up to receive uh, different resources, different free things online, keep track of some of the different things we're developing. We're developing stuff all the time. Actually, just developed a new podcast that'll be coming out soon, so that's exciting. Uh, The biggest thing you may want to take note of is there is a little sheet there somewhere on your pew that uh, is a way to sign up for free books we're going to give away. Anybody like free books? So it's a 10-pack it's of free missional books that uh, we're going to give away tomorrow morning. And so if you take this, fill it out, and drop it at the table down back at Alfred Street at the V3 table, you'll be able to enter for that. With that, I want to take as little time as possible and turn this over to my friends Dan and Q, who I get to work with with V3. And I'm going to pray and get us started. Lord Jesus, thank you for the opportunity that we can have these few days to come together from all different places, all different contexts, to reimagine what it looks like for us to be the church just within our changing landscape. Lord Jesus, thank you that we can make new friends, that we can connect with old friends, and that we can continue to learn together different things that your spirit may want to speak to us we pray that your spirit spirit would speak to us here this afternoon through some of the things that Dan and Q will present and then some questions and answers we'll get to give later on this in our session Lord just pray that you'd speak to us in your precious name amen
1: hmm who's tired it's that part of the afternoon <laughs> I'm a little tired I um, we're going to talk about the church industrial complex um, and moving beyond it. Uh, that term uh, is, comes from uh, in 1961, President Dwight Eisenhower uh, gave a exit speech um, and he used this famous expression called the military industrial complex. Who has heard that term before, Right. Eisenhower warned of the defense spending and the increasing size of the government, the stockpiling of weapons, the constant recruitment of uh, young people into the army, and he termed the the military industrial complex to explain the excessive push for more security, status, and safety. Um, And he was uh, in some sense giving a prophetic warning of where the country was headed over the years. Well, fast forward and uh, the budget for uh, the military industrial complex has multiplied a billion times over. Um, it's behemoth. Um, and he was right. Um, we were headed in that direction. And he was concerned that uh, this would just dominate uh, the American landscape in The military-industrial complex, um, that term um, has been, by sociologists, been used to look at the church, and that's where you get the term the the church-industrial complex. And uh, the church, as an industrial complex, uh, has many of the same character traits as the military-industrial complex. And it is about the consolidation of more power, more resources, Uh, more hierarchy, uh, more growth. Um, These things are signs of success uh, for the military industrial complex, and they have become signs of success for the church as an industrial complex. Um, This is what happens when you merge and mix American-Western concepts of fruitfulness with ecclesiology, Um, So I'm going to draw a picture here and and begin to give you a tool for assessment and um, analysis for what the church industrial complex might be doing to us. Um, So over here, I'm just gonna abbreviate it, um, church as industrial complex, because I have dyslexia and can't spell very well, and I don't like that to show up on the board. Um, But many of our churches um, have, um, whether they're small small, or large, white, or black and brown, the concept of success is in the water if you're planting or being the church in the West. I say that gently when it comes to black and brown churches, but I play, pray regularly with Uh, 12 uh, black pastors in my city and many many times the conversation and the inertia of what they're doing and talking about and being a successful church sounds a lot like imitation for what white churches have done and my statement often is don't do what we did don't imitate us it gutted our core and this is not because they're necessarily imitating white church. I think it's primarily because this is what it means to be successful here in America. It's in the water. It's in our blood. It's in me right now. Even though I'm going to share with you a different mode of being the church, I am still in detox from the, the goalpost of church as industrial complex. In Churchill's Industrial Complex, the best way to think about it is that more is better. That's how we evaluate whether we're doing well. The church's Industrial Complex um, uh, is 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 uh, comes from American values of fruitfulness. It also we see it uh, a major shift when it comes to Christendom and Constantinianism, that uh, when it when it when it uh, turned the church and gave the church status within society. But I think it goes back even further than that. I actually think this is part of the brokenness. Of the fall. I think this is uh, something that uh, humanity has been struggling with, and then specifically the people of God. And we, we see this happening in Genesis 11. Then they said, Come, let us build ourselves a tower that reaches to the heavens, so that we may make a name for ourselves. Otherwise, we will be scattered over the face of the whole earth. You're hearing industrial complex language early on, that to be scattered is bad, to, be, to build higher and further is better. And so I like to draw this Tower of Babel um, just as an illustration of, of the metaphor and the feeling of what success is. The, the movement or the trajectory or the direction is towards church as a movement. And the church industrial complex and the church's movement both have marks of what we evaluate and what is uh, fruitfulness and what is our ethics and value in our culture. The things that you measure will obviously shape the way that you are the church. For the church's industrial complex, I'm going to give you four cute little Ps uh, to help you uh, start to discern and Analyze where your current church is, or maybe where your church plan is when it comes to the church's industrial complex. The first one is that the church's industrial complex values values power consolidated. It it consolidates power specifically within leadership. And leadership uh, clusters harder and further into one person holding, uh, this, is a, this is from Seinfeld, the Kavorka, <laughs> uh, the charisma, the, the dynamo of the organization is bound up and consolidated at one person and is then just passed down to others maybe um, unnaturally. Place Controlled. Place controlled is that the center of activity, the place where ministry happens is in the controlled environment of our building. And so when people think go to church, be the church, do church stuff, grow in Christ, they think about a specific brick and mortar place. And that's where most of your activity, most of your money, most of your best staff, most of your hours are going to the consolidation into a controlled environment in place. The third one is priest-centered. P-R-I. Ugh. Why is it Okay, grace for that. Um, I know it's spelled wrong. So, well, that's just not going to look good on Twitter if someone takes a picture of that, is it? That's just going to be horrible. So priest-centered, which is that um, the primary place we see uh, the, the output of information and spirituality is from the pulpit and the priest. Uh, I, I get to coach uh, lots of transitioning church pastors who are trying to transition towards mission in their church, and it's amazing how, uh, how uh, uh, um, conditioned we are for this dy- dynamic when they have an aha moment about something they've learned or they read a book or they're excited about something, what's the first thing they think they should do with it? Preach it in a sermon series. They should blast it out to a crowd. And I'm like, why are you not thinking about living this and discipling this out with others before you start telling people what to do? Because they have a very priest-centered idea of how change takes place. Paul was rallying against this, and... <laughs> It's amazing how uh, heretical it was understood back then, and we're still struggling with that concept now. Um, We worship the personality. The last one is pleasing the crowds. And this is the idea that the center of activity and the, the... The most important things happen in the crowd, public space on a Sunday morning. It is, it is. If you can read closely in the Gospels, you will, you will suddenly realize how irritated and awkward and consternated Jesus is with the crowds. He is not happy often with what's happening in the crowds. Even the way that they're receiving him, he's frustrated with. And additionally. Uh, And this is kind of how we read the text and we we import our ecclesiology onto the text. But the majority of what's happening in the Gospels, the recorded words, the parables, the stories, the sermons, we often think are happening, Jesus is preaching to crowds. 85% of what's actually happening in the Gospels that are recorded is midrash. It's not one-way monologue sermons. It's happening in disciples, and we record it, but we think, hey, that parable must be happening in a crowd. No, it's actually happening in Midrash. Now, Jesus does preach to crowds, but it is not the MO. It is not the mode of operation for the majority of the time. We have shifted and inverted the approach of Jesus' ministry and moved it primarily into crowd ministry, event-based oriented ministry. Now, you look at this and you think, oh my goodness, Dan is hating on the church, and uh, this is impossible. Um, But when you think of a continuum or a trajectory or movement, um, you have to start asking yourself, where am I at on this continuum? Um, And this is not about asking yourself or your church to jump to the top rung of a ladder. It's considering what the first step is. If you try to jump to the top rung of a ladder, you will get hurt. Has anybody tried that? No, because you know how ridiculous that is. Trying to become a church as movement is not about flipping the switch from churches and complex and jumping to the top, r- top rung of church as movement. It is asking where you are, what has God given you, what is the ethos and history of your church, and asking what is the first step for us? How do I begin to move in that direction? Maybe you're already here, and there's just another step you have to take, or maybe you're here, and or maybe you're here. This is the this is the grace-based uh, invitation that God is inviting His church, that is so saturated in industrial complex moorings, to move in a direction rather than deconstruct and rip the whole thing down and start all over again. God works with existing cultures. So church as industrial complex is about this idea of tower and consolidating power and uh, centering all the activity in a brick and mortar place and uh, elevating the priest and pleasing the crowds. Then what are the markers for church's movement? Well, for church's movement, I think that we have a, another metaphor to talk about the shift uh, that is happening from Old Testament to New Testament where the center of activity is in the temple and something is, something is happening uh, in Jesus arriving on earth as uh, God in the flesh. And I love this text. Uh, the kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed which is planted in a field Though it is the smallest of all seeds, when it grows, it becomes a tree. And so that bird, so a bird can come and perch in its branches, in Matthew. And so the metaphor here for me is a tree. But if anybody knows anything about the the, uh, the ecology of a mustard seed is that the mustard seed starts small and slowly grows up into a tree, but then the problem is what? It drops more seeds and then drops more seeds and more trees grow. It's, eventually, your garden is overtaken with mustard seed trees. It is movemental, it multiplies, but it is not just building one tree higher and higher and higher and higher and higher. It's not eating all the resources. It's continuing to multiply. This is a better metaphor for what God is calling the church to be rather than the Tower of Babel. There are some markers for the church as movement. The first one is a P, is power dispersed. This is rather than consolidating power, it is moving towards sharing power and is not afraid, as in Tower of Babel they were afraid, that we might be scattered. It's not afraid of, being, of power being scattered and dispersed. It understands the value of, of decentralizing power. Place-based, but being subversive with place, rather than it being in the building, the activity is not on the stage inside a sanctuary, the activity is actually on the streets in the neighborhood. That the church is not bottled up and the, the, uh, the mental imagination for being the church is actually out there, not in here. This is not anti-building. It is understanding that God's spirit is loose in the world and that's where we want to be. That's where we want our activities to happen. That's where we want our energy and our bodies to dwell. And you know... Uh, that uh, most people will think of spiritual growth and even discipleship and even uh, worship primarily within this environment. And so I, I don't know of too many pastors, maybe some are, are not so smart, but most people would say, yeah, I know God is not in a building. He's out there. But our, mess, our medium is overtaking our message. We're teaching people, that the sacred and the secular are still divided. Um, and that God will show up when we worship in here and that worship is not happening out there. Priest-centered. Oh, no, that was, that's church's industrial complex. Um, priesthood developed. This uh, was controversial in the New Testament that Paul was saying that the priesthood of believers was the new MO, uh, that God uh, had worked through a temple and a priest and now the the spirit was moving into the priesthood. This is really just code for discipleship. And this is code for elevating uh, that God's people do the work of ministry, not the paid staff and professionals and those who went to seminary. Um, I am in a highly movemental church and still, even though the structure is this, people still export or import their idea of who does the spiritual stuff. Where is the guy in charge? Sorry, it's often guy from their perspective. Who is the expert? And they want to find that person. And they want to, when they think of evangelism, what do they think? I want to get my friend to meet you so they can experience they do not see the priesthood in themselves. And this is the church's fault, but it's also consumerism's fault. It's a double-edged sword here that we're, we're fighting. Uh, and then the last one is planting communities. We're here, the, uh, the idea of of evaluation and even the the kind of the euphoric surge we get from gathering a crowd of people the movement is actually not in crowds it's in creating micro communities it's where people are living in oikos i've seen so many so much bad theology that thinks that acts 2 is the primary structure and ecclesiology of church it really isn't after acts 2 do you know what they do fairly quickly they scatter and decentralize. And it stays in that condition until Constantine, three or 400 years later. Acts 2 was an event. It exploded the church, but quickly after that, it is moving into oikos, into communities. And that becomes the the ministry of the Apostle Paul to come and bring support and encouragement and admonition to these scattered communities that were part of this event. So we find uh, joy uh, not in... The event that we created, but in the communities that are moving deeper into the neighborhood and are sharing meals and life and neighborhood and discipleship together. This is uh, this is a daunting task. I don't know about you, but it, it is it can be discouraging to think about how much of a shift we have to take and how far away we are from that. But this tool. Um, teaches us and encourages us and gives us some heuristic to begin to look at what we have through different metrics. These metrics versus these metrics. If we do not have metrics like this, if we don't have new glasses, the inertia will always keep pulling us back in this direction and it will shape our character. I, I remember, uh, it, well it was about 15 years ago, uh, I had a friend who Uh, wanted me to help him build a garage in his backyard. So he had a a, a space he had marked out, and he was going to build a double car garage with a recording studio over the top of it. This is just beautiful. He had saved up tons of money to build it. I didn't know how to do any construction at that point, so I'm like, all right, I can just be a gopher and do whatever you need. So that summer we slaved for four months and we built this monstrosity of a garage, epic, beautiful. Uh, his second floor was tiled and had, it was just gorgeous. Parked two gar- car garage, it was two car garage and he also had a workshop in the back. And I saw him about a year later in the beginning of the summer and I said, hey Chad, how how's that garage, man? How you been, you been enjoying that? And he, he kinda, he had a little bit of a hitch and he kinda hesitated and said, yeah, it's, it's good. Which right away I'm thinking, did, we just, did I do something wrong? Did I, you know, did I not nail in the right nail and now everything's falling apart? Well, so I, he hesitated and he said, do you, do you remember that tree that was like you know, a few feet from the garage? He's like, it was like 10 feet away. And I was like, well, kinda, yeah. He's like, some massive, massive tree. He's like, that tree's dying. Which when he said that, I thought, Who cares? That was my first reaction. And then he began to share, well, my kids climbed on that tree and and we built a fort in that tree and we we hung a tire from all my kids. A lot of our joy and life was around that tree and now it's dying. And he's like, I think when we excavated to build the garage, we tore up all its roots and now it can't survive. I thought that that was significant, and I do now, that somehow in building majestic things or building things that we think are strong and sturdy, um, we actually kill the most beautiful and supernatural and meaningful things. We kill the tree. We kill... Life, And I think that's the predicament we're in right now as a church. We've built some really impressive systems and approaches to leadership and discipleship and preaching and gathering, but they've actually killed the soul of movement, God's movement. And part of that is, is waking up to what has happened. Rather than living in guilt, uh, we begin to feel God's inertia and spirit moving us to take steps forward. So what we're gonna do now, and it's really impossible to double click on all of these and give you a full immersion in them. Uh, Q is uh, a coach of V3 and he's gonna double click on this power piece, on this power consolidated and power dispersed idea.
2: Thanks Dan. I think um, it's very important for us to look at this, um, this issue of power, uh, and uh, do do a very careful job with this, um, because it has so much to do with what we call the church industrial complex, and how we have structured power. Um, um, at, if you get a chance, I would recommend that uh, you uh, look up on YouTube, um, look up um, Diane Langberg, and um, she has a, a, a uh, she has a talk on narcissistic systems, um, and um, it's a, it's a pretty long talk, um, so you know, you need to take your time to do it. Uh, but it's really worth the worth the um, watch. Um, and so she says that you know we have narcissistic leaders, um, and. Um, and we, we see it happening, and so sometimes we say, why do we have all of these um, you know, abusive leaders and uh, you know, power-hungry people who come through, and then they destroy everything, and, uh, and, then, and then we have to fire them, and, and all, they leave behind a mess. Why do we have this? And she says, well, part of the problem is we have narcissistic systems that are looking for narcissistic leaders. They want it, they, and they got exactly what they wanted, Right. Um, so, as an illustration, she talks about um, uh, Germany after World War One. Um, uh, Germany experienced uh, this crushing defeat um, after at World War One, and uh, and the, the, and gets really harshly punished. Right, um, Just everything is just taken away from them and the, the, the glory and, the, and they really prided themselves as being like really one of the foremost nations, civilizations and so on. And, um, and they get punished in, in such a bad way and there's this great sense of shame um, that as a nation that they're going through. Um, and uh, in order to escape from the sense of shame, um, they, they start to look for, you know, they start to ask these questions. We need to go back to the days when we were glorious, right? When we used to mean something, when we used to be somebodies. And uh, so, so they start to hunger and yearn and thirst for a strong leader that is going to get them out of the predicament and the shame that they're in. Um, and um, so so, so they, they find somebody in Adolf Hitler, um, and he rises to power, and he is somebody who is able, with, with his charisma, and um, with his retor- power of rhetoric, he's able to move millions, um, and uh, get them fired up, and then get them moving, and, uh, and, uh, and, and, and this, this drum call of, you know, back to the glory days of, of Germany, and uh, so, so, and you know the rest of the history, right? Um, and how, how everything played out after that. Um, and she says, that, you know, if we, if we look at this um, issue of, and uh, she was kind of sounding the clarion call, Diane Langberg was, of, of um, sexual abuse that was going on in churches and how it gets covered up um, by, by the leadership. And, uh, and you know, we start to see it happen. I mean, Roman Catholic Church gets uh, most of the press, uh, has been getting most of the press, but, but it's really, it's, it's, uh, um, the Protestant Church is really coming to a place of reckoning as well, and it's, it's more is coming. Um, and the reason that she says that we have this is because we, uh, we have set up and built up our churches as narcissistic systems. And we hunger and yearn for uh, narcissistic leaders. Um, and I, I, I've had several conversations with people who, who said, you know, um, this is it's a prominent church, well-to-do, and, uh, you know, filled with um, really, like, uh, very able people <laughs> uh, as leaders, and, uh, and they want a certain particular profile of a pastor, and somebody who's powerful, somebody who is going to be decisive, um, somebody who is very, you know, has a magnetic personality, you know, high wattage personality, um, and uh, able to speak very well and uh, move the crowd. And it's going to draw people, you know, and if we get this person, then we are going to get, have a revival. And, um, and, but then, you know, a couple of years later, they get fired and they, they leave a mess behind, right? And uh, the church has to kind of pick up again and then look for another leader. But it's, it's kind of like serial, <laughs> series of them, you know, and this happens again and again. And uh, the, the problem is systemic, it's not just bad apples with, uh, so, you know, some people, oh man, you know, he had bad character, you know, and uh, now we've got to, no, it's actually systemic, uh, is, is what she's saying. Um, it, um, narcissistic systems beget narcissistic leaders. Um, and, uh, you know, and that, that's, that's what uh, we're describing when we're talking about the church industrial complex. Um, it's, 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 we 've set ourselves up in such a way that even if there, we get you know somebody in here who is you know, um, spirit filled and uh, is enthusiastic and uh, is, is, has, has a good heart and uh, wants to serve God and wants to serve people, you get this person in here and you become a part of the cog in the in the machinery and what happens is, and so we, we think, talk, talk about, um, they don't always end up narcissistic leaders, but then we talk, let's talk about attrition. Attrition of ministers, attrition of pastors, and people who drop out of ministry. I mean, it's a crisis level. Um, so, so when you, you become a cog in the wheel, um, then you, you start to experience breakdowns uh, because people were not meant to be cogs in, the, in a wheel, right? Right. Um, and uh, so we need to, uh, so the reason that we harp on this so much, I think, is because, um, and uh, we, again, some of the conversations that we have is, well, if only we get the right person in here, <laughs> then, uh, you know, we'll we we be able to solve the problem. If only their character was better. No, I think it's what we're saying is it's systemic. And we need, to, we need to recognize that and we need to leave that behind uh, without any regrets, you know, without any looking back. Um, and we need to move towards a place where it's going to be more in tune with the spirit of, of the New Testament and of uh, our gospel call. Um, and uh, so we want to sound the alarm and we also want to provide hope that it's possible. Uh, we are able to go. And uh, even if it's incremental, we're, we, can, we can still make this push and, um, and uh, make, make uh, some progress uh, towards some healing. Um, so... Let's describe the power structure. Uh, The leadership structure is hierarchical. So you fall also in this, or let's let's, uh, use another color here. That's better, right? (laughs) Um. (laughs) Right, we've got uh, committees, you know, which are kind of siloed off from each other. And, uh, you know, they're, they're probably always uh, complaining about how come they don't get more of the budget than the others. And, uh, you know, that, that's about, you know, what, what ends up happening in some of these committee meetings. And, uh, and then they report um, to, to whoever's in charge of that committee. And then they report to whoever, you know, the, the, the staff person. And then over, uh, uh, on top of it all, sits the senior pastor. Um, and it's hierarchical model, right? It's, um, it's this... It's this is idea. Um, and um, this has been repeated time and time again. You know, the British Empire. You know, the, there's a home office in London, and then, you know, they send out people who are professionals, trained, and out into the fields, and uh, they make sure that it gets done the right way. Um, and it's governed in a centralized location, but the seat of power is, is, uh, is in, is in uh, England, right? That's the British Empire. Um, and we kind of uh, have taken this, and uh, we kept on duplicating it, um, and so it's hierarchical. Um, Whereas in church as movement, the leadership structure is polycentric. Right, it's different people have been gifted by God with leadership gifts, but they look different, um, and uh, so we talk about the fivefold gifts: um, apostle, apostolic, prophetic, evangelist, um, shepherd, teacher and they have all been given gifts by God um, in order to do the work of leadership. So there's a, there's a, it's a, it's a uh, um, polycentric leadership and that is shared, right? The power is shared. At some point, I'm going to look to you. And uh, you're going to be the one that's leading. And other points, point, I'm going to be looking to, to her, and she is going to be the one that's leading. And at other times, all of you are going to be looking to me. And uh, so, so we take turns leading, and it's a community of, of people who are um, taking responsibility for the calling that God has given, but they're also uh, cultivating and exercising and walking in the authority that God has given because of the gifting, right? Um, God has given you as a gift, to the church for the sake of building up of the church so that it might be built up into all things. Um, so it's this vision of, of a community of leaders who share power and uh, who uh, are, are mutually submissive and um, who will um, look to one another and, and, and uh, cultivate interdependence. Um, whereas here, the leadership structure is contr- uh, is controlling, and you know, funny thing about um, you know, if you try try to have more efficiency um, by having a structure like this, and then you control everybody, you know, funny thing is, nobody, the the people that are kind of like the worker ants, right? Uh, they 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 don't really feel a sense of responsibility. I'm just doing my job. <laughs> I'm just doing my job, and I'm just going to do the things that I'm asked to do, and I want to do 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 the reports, and uh, you know, and that's it. You know, I don't feel any sense of like, am I called to this? You know, no, I don't. I mean, I'm just getting a paycheck. I'm just, and then you know, I'm trying not to get the boss mad so I don't get fired, and that's 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 it. Um, so there is no sense of authority. There's no sense of calling, and there's no sense of responsibility for, for the for the uh, the mission that uh, of, of, um, of the church. Um, whereas if, if it's shared, if the, if the authority is shared, then everybody is responsible, everybody is called, and uh, we are all being called into being stewards of the mission of God, right? So we're looking to each other, and, um, um, and uh, when it comes to spiritual formation, um, we rely here um, on programs, and it's individualistic I think most of the uh, um, discipleship programs that uh, we've been involved in probably involves you know here here's a book and uh, you know, we read through this. We just kind of uh, make sure that we got the right information, and then we meet with somebody, and uh, and uh, you know, we have awkward conversations, maybe about application, which and maybe we don't, which we don't necessarily come, you know, <laughs> follow through on. Um, but but what happens is, oh yeah, we got a program, and we've done that, and we check the box, and uh, let, we move on. We've done done it, right? Um, but here it's um, it's communal. This, The spiritual formation is communal. Let me see if I can get this thing out. Here we go. And if it's communal, uh, what we're saying is it's, it's, um, there's gonna be a lot of mess. (laughs) Um, But it's also alive. Um, you know, this other, the discipleship happens when we try to move into mission together and there are disagreements, there's conflicts, and then I start to realize that there are these uh, um, weaknesses that I have and uh, so I need to repent of it. And, um, you know, there's support that comes from the others and um, I need to ask for forgiveness. And, uh, you know, through our living together, um, through our trying to obey the Lord together, um, we, we start to grow into the fullness of God, all right? Um, so, it's not, we don't rely on programs, we rely on relationships, we rely on spurring each other onto righteousness and reading the word of God together and uh, seeking to hear from the Lord together. So it's, it, it's very relational um, in, this, in this way. It's because, anyway, one of the things that I notice about, um, about leaders in, in this kind of a structure is they're very isolated. You know who's checking up on them? Who's making sure that they're growing in into the likeness of Christ? You know who's who, who takes care of them? Because they're there to provide a service, they're there to lead, and they're there to like be the visionary. But who is taking care of them, right? And. Um, in this, so we need to have people who are actually mean this. You know, they, they don't just say, you know, do what I say, <laughs> not as I do, but they're actually in it. They're, they're, they're being discipled, they're being, they're um, uh, submitted to a group of people themselves as well, and who's taking care of them. And so it, it builds accountability into this, um, and uh, so that, you know, most of the problems that happen, happens because the, the senior pastor can hide. Um, and uh, they, they, their private lives are—it's it's none of and nobody comes to examine them or cares for them. But um, you know, so we need to—we desperately need to have a community um, of discipleship for the people who are leaders. Um, and um, as far as mission, here it's um, extractional. And what I mean by extractional is, well, we got this uh, building, and we got this, we, this is, this is uh, where you meet God, right? And uh, so therefore, if you come to Christ, you need to leave behind all of uh, your buddies, all of your family, um, p- places that you used to hang out. You know, you've you got to come out from your bar. You've got to come out from the basketball court. You know, you got to, and you've got to be in here. And this is where you're going to be, you're going to be holy. Um, so, so everything is centered in here. Um, what you've done is you've, uh, you've, um, first of all, you've, um, You've completely cut them off from all of their, the, the people that they could introduce to Christ. Uh, and, um, and then the other is that uh, you've, you've said, you know, uh, your identity is, is actually, what, what have, whatever identity you brought is, 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 is not valuable. It's, uh, it's, not, it's not, not from God. Um, and we've seen this happen in mission fields where um, the missionary methods was, you know, the missionary would go into another place uh, and then set up. And the first thing that they would do is they would set up a, a mission compound. And, um, and then the, it, this would be like the uh, western, uh, the outpost of the western civilization in the middle of the hedonism, right? And then so the, the only way that you become a Christian is when you leave your family, or you leave your village, you leave the, your old life, and then you become a part of the mission compound. Um, and that's how you become a Christian. Um, and, uh, and so I think, um, you know, we, we still are the reckoning with a fallout from that kind of a methodology in many of these places. Um, and uh, so we, we, uh, what we want to say is attractional, you know, it kind of starts to, it, it starts to uh, rely on an extractional kind of a me, uh, methodology. And, um, and because we rely too much on uh, the, the, the building as the center of our ministry. Um, whereas... In, uh, in the polycentric model, it, it's about multiplication. It's not bigger and better, it's not grow into like as, as, as much as possible, into, um, into the biggest size that you can, into gargantuan proportions, but rather the, the, the way that you grow is to beget more life, is to birth, to keep on giving birth. Um, and, uh, and um, also, I might add, incarnational, because now you're spreading out into the neighborhood, into the community, and you're becoming salt. And um, you are getting into all the nooks and crannies, and you are living your life in the community where you can cultivate your presence. Whereas if you go in and into into this big building and shut the door, then you you don't, you have no presence. Um, I, um, I, I Robert Lupton wrote an article. Um, Uh, Many years back, I love the title, Um, he he was a community organizer in Atlanta for 30 years and uh, he had this article that said, Good Christians, Lousy Neighbors. Um, and he was talking about the fact that, you know, the, Christ, the, good, the good Christians, they would faithfully go and go, in, go into the church and uh, spend all of their time in the church, but they made, they made themselves absent. There's like this hole, you know, um, a Christian-shaped hole in the community where they're needed, where they could have been an asset. Um, But if if we are going to continue to multiply missional communities that are going to go into the community and live their their life in the community, then we are multiplying incarnational presence. Um, And this is how we do mission, um, to keep on being scattered, just like in the book of Acts, where the church gets scattered into the nations. um, It gets scattered into into the world and um, multiplies the witness in the world. so Ephesians chapter 4, it says um, Christ gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and the teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up. And that is the heartbeat of the polycentric leadership. And that's what we would like to, we encourage you to seek, you know, even if it's just baby steps. Um, and um, and we, want to, we want to sound the alarm, depart from Christendom, but There's hope. There's hope. And there is a different way of, um, of doing leadership. There's a different way of doing church. And, um, and it's possible, even, even if you're just making incremental steps, we want to give you um, the encouragement to take that step forward um, and uh, find a way that uh, we can do church in the way that God wants us to do in
0: Thank you, Q. Right now we're gonna take uh, just a few minutes to do some Q&A. Are there any questions? Great.
1: Thank you. Um, so as I'm looking at this, um, this move, um, I can see how this could work in a church plant, right? So you can set up your system from scratch, you can um, hold all these things together, um, but how do you d- work this out in an established congregation with a hierarchical structure that resists change. Hello. There we are. Um, yeah, so I have, I, I've, I, I can see how that would be the perception. Actually, I think some of the most hopeful things I'm seeing are actually happening in the established church when it comes to the movement in this direction. Uh, my encouragement in, in helping churches that are transitioning are not to do it from the pulpit, not to do it from programs, but to start a pilot out on the edge of the empire. So, uh, I don't know who coined this phrase, but, um, working out on the edge can renew the center. So the center of activity is the pulpit and the sermon and the programs and the elder board and all that stuff that's kind of the, uh, you know, is, is pulling all the energy. I would start a small community out here that has absolutely, uh, no impact when it comes to deconstructing this system, um, so I would send uh, six to eight people out here to experiment and explore this in a neighborhood. And what happens uh, out there on the edge is naturally uh, people feel like they're missing out when they find and hear stories about what's happening. And what will happen also is people go, wait, wait did, who approved that? Um, who's leading that? Um, Questions that are industrial complex questions. If an elder board, I don't know any other way other than an elder board giving permission for that laboratory experience out on the edge. Uh, When that happens, uh, that's when uh, this affects the whole. Um, Affecting, trying to eat the whole piece of pie (laughs) uh, is really just crazy pills from my perspective. Um, Trying to change the whole system. Uh, rather, I would just say go out there and create a uh, a little bonfire that begins to, to warm. Does that make sense at all? Okay.
0: Uh, there we go. Question? Yeah. What does a weekly
3: worship service look like, worship gathering look like for um, all the way to the right, Christian or the movement type, what would like a weekly worship gathering look like in terms of, size, location, what's happening there? Is it the same thing? Or different?
1: Well, uh, I think there's various iterations. Uh, I don't know if there's one size fits all there. I can tell you some of the ones that I've seen. Um, the, my community that I'm involved in personally, uh, we have uh, multiple communities that are meeting on Sunday, Sunday night, Monday. Uh, whatever, um, and they're meeting in a storefront. They're meeting in the back of uh, rented space in the back of a bar. They're meeting. One's meeting in a home, and they eat food together. They they come around the table. They eat. Uh, they sing songs. They read prayer liturgies. Uh, they pray over one another. Uh, they break into uh, spaces for accountability. They have all the elements of church, but in a space of about a 20 to 30 people, um, instead of you know a crowd. Um, and then uh, uh, w- those communities come together once a month for a larger expression of being tied to one another, sharing the stories of what God is doing in these various places. Um, so that's one way. Uh, I've seen uh, also church's movement be um, still uh, gathered weekly in a crowd um, and they probably still look very traditional on Sunday morning, but they have absolutely no other uh, programs. There's no mops ministry, kids ministry, youth ministry, all that jazz. The primary uh, thing they're doing is living in community in other spaces. So they're, they're doing what I'm doing on Sunday, but in other spaces. So they, 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 they minimalize the options of what uh, people can be involved in because they, want, uh, they don't want to just create affinity groups of women together, men together, and kids together. They want to be creating oikos of shared spiritual family. So that's, that's I don't know if that helps a bit. Um, we've V3 has coached 200 plans, and I probably can give you 200 other ways that people are uh, contextualizing this in their place. Yeah, that's
3: good. I guess a bigger question I have is in my context, um, we're at a normal kind of traditional church i guess it's smaller 200 250 Mm -hmm. and we do some different kind of things we often are like last place that people go on their way out of church or first place back in if they're willing to test it back out again Mm -hmm. and so because of that i meet a lot of people who try to do like the house church kind of thing and the speed with which it devolves into netflix and pancakes maybe drink a couple beers and lack any sense of like reverent worship for like Jesus brings us here, not like that all six of us happen to all be about 25 to 27 and watch the same kind of TV. Sure. So I, I understand
1: it, that, that caricature. That's not my experience. I know honestly. Not, <laughs> I'm more like,
3: I, I actually love what you're saying. I'm so like, how do you go I, there? And I am not even
1: there. home church. So the idea that it's in a home, uh, to me is more kind of like organic church and how people just do a, a pancakes and prayer. Um, from, from my perspective, it's, it's really about orienting around an ecclesiology outside of a crowd um, when it comes to gathering. I mean, polycentric leadership uh, has some different formations, but I, I've seen that. It's, but I, I have a lot of hope and a lot of Dan, uh, data around yeah, what's happening. I, I don't want to
0: overstep. Yeah, we're, I mean, we yep. do that. In our, that's the whole point of a DC. Yeah. yeah is of course. discipleship, developing discipleship cores of families that are developing discipleship pathways, like how are we going to live into the mission of God together, and then creating shared tables around that mission field. And so it's very intentional in that approach. There's a lot that we do with V3 to make sure those kinds of things. There may be elements of that to bring people together, but they're done very intentionally around discipleship pathways to make sure that we're rooted in the scriptures and rooted in God's mission field, so yeah.
1: Yeah, there's a, there's a tension uh, right now within the church. Uh, and I understand, well, actually, I think people are eliminating the tension. But there's, there's, it could be probably characterized that this is just all about inclusion and just come one, come all um, in non-offensive spaces. I think that the gospel is highly inclusive. I also think it's exclusive in some sense. That's why Jesus formed and shaped 12 people Uh, And it was rigorous. And so to me, those disciples create highly inclusive, porous, missional belonging spaces. But at the center of that space is high formation, high commitment, high accountability, high submission to one another. Uh, You can't, if you eliminate one or the other, you're going to have major problems. And I think many people that do the pancakes and prayer kind of thing are, what's that? Pancakes and Netflix. Yeah, yeah. And I, I've met some of that. I think it's often just a reaction to, I understand the reaction to hurt and wounds around oppressive structures. Uh, but at some point, you do have to, you have to recover the DNA of the early church uh, to be the church. So. No,
2: um, so what we are saying is not no leadership, right? right? Um, because we're not saying absence of leadership. Um, we're saying shared leadership. Um, we, but which is going to be highly accountable, and uh, it needs to have a mission, and it needs to steward the mission. Um, so uh, it's something that we didn't put up here. is um, is, is like a uh, is a flat leadership where okay, you know, nothing gets done. Um, you know, everything, all the decisions that come to a vote, um, and then and then it, uh, you know, uh, as Dan was sharing. In the earlier session, um, when it's like no structure, there's no leadership structure at all. Then uh, usually it's like the people with the loudest voices that actually end up. Um, so it becomes this anyway. Um, um, so so you know we so we're not saying that, and uh, and then mission never happens because because of it. Um, uh, and uh, so I would say no, you know the with the people that uh, we are uh, we we identify as having gifted uh, leaders. Um, they are need to make sure that the mission is moving forward. And they're the ones that are structuring it in such a way that uh, you know, we are creating uh, missional communities. So.
0: Yeah, great question. Uh, other questions? Any other questions? Got about five minutes. Yes. Does this tend to work better in an urban setting or suburban setting? Is it... That's the question. <laughs> urban, suburban?
1: I think both contexts—rural, suburban, and urban—all have different things that work for them, work against them. Uh, in in the last five years, uh, in suburbia, I've seen quite a bit of fruit and seen it work. But there's also inherent sociological dynamics around. Uh, uh, people have more fences and divisions in their neighborhood, so you know, you pull into your driveway, go into your car, your garage, and when you do. Have a little barbecue. No one knows that you're having it because you're in your fence and yard. So that's a dynamic uh, that has to be resisted. Uh, in urban environments, uh, I've seen the resistance being the fast pace. Uh, I mean, I can walk down my street. I'm in a highly dense and urban environment. I can walk down my street and pass 200 people that will never look at me because they're looking at their phones. So I think it. I I I think they just the contextually you have to discern what are the, what are the points of resistance. How is this way of life resisting the way of Jesus? Um, and accept the already but not yet uh, of the kingdom, and the church is already in an already but not yet state as well. So uh, I've seen it work in rural environments. Um, I think a a lot of it has to do with how long you're willing to stick with this, um, to be honest. I think perseverance and faithfulness is the hardest aspect of this, because we're working in an existing mission field, uh, that has a specific template that is in contrast to this. You can do this in parts of Peru and you're not dealing with consumerism. You're not dealing with some of our gods with a small G. Um, so if most people that find, uh, that this doesn't work, most of the time when I get down to the bottom of it, uh, two or three years and they said, I, it's just, I can't do it anymore. Um, I I think that fruitfulness is a 10- or 15-year journey when it comes to building churches and movement. And that's hard news, but um, I think that's reality.
0: Good, good. I think we have time for one more quick question. Any others? Anything you guys want to close with?
2: Well, I was um, talking with somebody else in um, the last session, and um, I think, um, he, and he brings up this um, um, this phenomenon of what if the church doesn't want this? You know, they don't want to make this move, right? Um, and um, you know, what if uh, what if they're they, they're really committed to to this, and uh, they want to keep on hiring high-powered leaders, and uh, they want to have this these structures? Um, and uh, so I kind of probed him a little bit, and I think um, I think. Uh, the way for us to think about it is, um, you know, are there uh, besides um, some of these pilot programs, but be, even beyond that, I think we, you know, there's got to be that desire. Um, are there are there ways in which, you know, like the horse, you can lead the horse to water, but it doesn't want to drink, so what do you do? You have to give it salt tablets, and uh, so um, are there ways that you can point out some uh, places of yearning, places of loss, of, of uh, of, you know, longing that, that this creates, and there invariably are. Um, like, for instance, um, is the pastor really doing well? How's he doing? You know, it's usually here, but how's he doing? Um, and, um, and uh, you know, like, uh, uh, what about the leadership team dynamics? How's that going? Um, usually it's dysfunctional. Um, usually there's going to be, you know, ways and if we're not talking, <laughs> you know, we, we, we're just not communicating with each other. Uh, and uh, when things happen and then people make decisions, people get mad and, uh, you know, there's, it's, it's, it's the same cycle. And, uh, you know, that's the kind of stuff that uh, you can point to and say, there's something wrong here. And I think we need to, we need to think about something different. And uh, so start to uh, find ways and into, into, this, um, uh, into that space where, yeah, you know, I think, I think um, there's a, there, there, a different possibility can be, can be had for us. Um, and I think we can start with that and start ‑‑ can we reimagine what this could look like for us? So,
0: Great. Awesome. Thank you, uh, Dan and Q, for, uh, for leading this session. Uh, Dan, actually, with uh, J.R. Woodward, has written a material called Church's Movement, which uh, walks through creating some of these kinds of communities that move from a a church industrial complex to a church as movement. Uh, V3 has many different resources available for existing churches, church plants to help in that process. So if there's any way we can help you, please let us know. Uh, Again, thank you guys. I'm gonna pray and uh, ask the Lord to continue to speak to us. Lord Jesus, we just pause in our spirit and ask your spirit to, to infuse us. Lord, let us breathe in as we discern and contemplate and understand different paradigms. Lord Jesus, I love the question that Q posed for us today. And is it really the character of our leaders or is it more of the systemic issues within our structures? So Lord, help us just to ponder that question, ponder these paradigm shifting thoughts and to be faithful to your mission in our place it's in your precious name amen thank you guys